Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, guide our minds, our heart, our understanding as we give ourselves to the things that are faith. Enable us to become better teachers of thy covenant children, that they may grow in grace and in understanding. We thank thee, our God, for the privilege of serving thee. We thank thee that we have the blessed assurance that thy word does not return unto thee void, but accomplishes thy purpose, and that our labor is not in vain in thee. Strengthen us ever in thy service, that we may be more than conquerors through him that loved us, even Jesus Christ our Lord. In his name we pray. Amen. We have been dealing with the Christian philosophy of education and have been considering specific subjects in the last two meetings. We dealt with mathematics last time. This evening we shall deal first with music and then in our second period with grammar. The humanistic philosophy of music is very ably summarized by the state of Ohio and its minimum standards for Ohio elementary schools. According to that document, and I quote, music as one of the fine arts is an integral part and an enriching force in the life of the individual. As a required part of the elementary school curriculum, the music program includes learning opportunities for children of varying levels of musical abilities and achievements. Those who create, those who perform, those who enjoy, and those who become professional musicians. The instruction emphasizes the development of aesthetic sensitivity, creative capacity, cultural awareness, musical competence, and intelligence, unquote. The report goes on to say that one of the aspects of the music program is to relate music and other human experiences. Now, a great many Christians buy that philosophy. And this is very unfortunate because the emphasis is thoroughly humanistic. It is on the life of the individual. Music is for the enrichment of the individual, for his better self-expression. That's humanism. The individual is supposed to find himself in a number of ways in the educational process, according to humanism, to realize himself. And music is one of these means of enrichment, self-expression, and development. This is the focus of music in the modern age. Music in the modern age began with a background of Christian influence, and it has left that influence very steadily over the past few centuries, and especially in this century. As a matter of fact, church music has been very largely influenced over the years by secular music. First of all, it was operatic music. 
so that the music of opera began to influence very strongly a great deal of church music. Then romantic music came in. And romantic music on all levels, both of very serious choir pieces and popular songs, began to have a very popular and powerful influence in the church. Some of our very popular hymns are really romantic pieces. To cite one example, uh, in the garden. That's a very romantic piece with a background and a context that is very, very much a part of early 20th century, late 19th century love music. As a matter of fact, at one summer conference where this song was used very heavily uh, in the evening campfire meeting, one of the young uh, ministers who was there was a little disturbed because when they were preparing for the faggot service on the last night of the summer camp, one of the boys said when they asked what music shall we sing, let's sing the song about Andy. Andy? What song about Andy? Andy loves me and Andy walks with me. <laughs> now, that misconception of the song really caught the spirit of the song because the flavor of it is early romantic. Now, a great deal of our music, you see, is secular in its output. There have been, in our time, two basic directions of humanistic music. First of all, you've had the popular development that came to a focus in the 20s in jazz and today finds expression in acid rock. To understand that music, we have to understand its purpose. Beginning with jazz, music began to seek on the popular level the exploitation of feeling as such. Now, music always has had an emotional impact. Feeling and music are inseparable. But the music has always been tied to something, to be expressive of something to be expressive of an idea of love, an idea of fellowship, an idea of this, so that popular music before jazz was designed to express popularly an idea. But now the concentration was on feeling for its own sake. instead of tying feeling to a purpose outside of man now popular music was to express feeling to be experienced for the sake of feeling something to illustrate one of the many forms of music is march music 
March music can be of various forms. Can be a wedding march, an academic procession, a church procession, parade ground procession, a civil function, a war march. In each case, a certain type of feeling is created. Now the emphasis began to be on feeling for its own sake. In acid rock, music was allied to narcotics, to heighten isolated emotion, pure emotionalism. To be divorced, this was the goal, and still is from things outside of yourself and simply to feel. Now, of course, the desire there is in essence that which the tempter expressed in the fall. He shall be as God, knowing, that is, determining for yourself what constitutes good and evil. Autonomous man, man as his own God and his own world, his own universe, needing nothing outside of him. So the goal of acid rock, which is the culmination of this tradition of popular music in the modern age, is to enable you to turn off the outside world and turn yourself on and to forsake reality, outward reality, for the only reality yourself. Of course, this is impossible but because man lives in God's universe and is God's creature. And the psalmist says, Though I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I fly to the uttermost parts of the morning, behold, thou art there. And if we go to the innermost recesses of our being, behold, God is there. So the net result is, as man has tried to find this kind of music, this kind of self-absorption, it becomes necessary for him to heighten the music in its autonomy, to heighten the drug experience, to try to go deeper, to dive deeper into his own being in order to escape from the outer world of God and his law. This is why a very basic part of rock is loudness. It has to be loud. Why? Because you're drowning out everything else. That has to be so heavy a beat, so loud a noise, that it can drive every other thought out of your mind. It has to take you over with its beat. So that nothing else can come into your mind. Now, of course, the objection of some parents to the rock music their kids play is, well, you can't think. That's the point, you see. You can't function along traditional conservative lines. The emphasis is on the autonomous self to pull you into your own being and to go deep enough or sensibly to escape from God and his world. 
Now that's one direction, the popular direction, of humanistic music in our age. The other is the direction that classical music has taken. Classical music in our day has become overly intellectual and rationalistic. In much of it, emotions have been radically squeezed out. Experimentation has been the order of the day. The creation of new scales, dissonance, new sounds, distortions. With the older classical music, you had, for example, the kind of abstract music that Johann Sebastian Bach represented. Now, Bach's music is abstract in the sense that it is not programmed music. His fugues, uh, I'm speaking of. But, Bach's music, such as his fugues, which represents pure abstract music, all the same creates in you an overwhelming feeling and an emotion of religious awe and reverence, exaltation. It ties you in very definitely with God's world. Then you have program music. Music written to, in effect, tell a story and develop an idea or a mood musically. And then you've had suggestive music in the last century, which was the counterpart to Impressionism in art. All of these musics had some kind of relation to the real world. But the new music is different. It denies, for example, the unity of mind and feeling. It strives for autonomy, a radical independence. It wants to offer a man-made world It wants to create new reactions and new feelings. For example, when you listen to some of our avant-garde classical composers of today, you find that their music plays games with you. It begins with something that you feel, oh, this is a gay note, and then suddenly there's something that comes in but it's very depressing. It'll give you what looks like the development of a sweet and lilting melody, and then it comes in and destroys that. In other words, it is trying to destroy the classical type of reaction musically to bring emotions together that normally we think clash. It's playing games with the traditional, ordinary feelings of man and in a sense saying, we're going to rearrange your inside. We're going to make over music and we're going to make you over in the process. Moreover, as 
it strives for autonomy, for independence from the past and from God and outer reality, it seeks to be radically rootless. Throughout history, we've been able to identify music in terms of its cultural context. Thus, you can usually identify Russian music right off the bat. You can identify German music, and you can tell the difference between German opera and uh, Italian opera in just a minute or two. French music and Spanish music each have their characteristics, as do English music and American music. But the new classical composers try to give you a music that is so abstract and intellectualized that it will not show a national origin. It is not to be recognizable in terms of representing their background and their culture. Now Bach, as a great musician, is a unique figure in the history of music. But Bach also is very emphatically the culmination of a long musical tradition. So that when you come to Bach, you can say, well, here are all these men who contributed to the development of Bach. This is a musical tradition that has culminated in him. And in understanding Bach, you understand the whole world of music and appreciate all of that that preceded him. He's very much a part of it. But the modern classical composer does not want roots or heritage. He wants to be unique, created out of a vacuum. So that now nationality and reference, all these things, tradition, are denied. Well, the result is sometimes a very striking experimentalism, but also impotence. So that our new classical composers are men who produce musical mules, so to speak, sterile music. Too often the church has imitated both the jazz to rock tradition as well as the avant-garde tradition instead of creating its own kind of music. Now remember I said at the beginning that the essence of humanistic music is on the life of the individual. Let's look at what Scripture has to say about music. Because a truly Christian music must be true to Scripture and it must develop its own musical canons. Well, the first thing we must say is that in biblical faith there is a unique emphasis on music. In no other religion do we find the same stress, the same emphasis on music. When you open your Bible, the middle of the Bible gives you one of the biggest books of the Bible, Psalms. A music book. That's what the book of Psalms represents. A music book. 
refined snatches of songs or entire songs repeatedly in the Bible. What did the children of Israel do when they crossed the Red Sea? We have the song of Moses. Sing unto the Lord, for he is glorious. Horse and the rider he is hurled into the sea. We have songs of David apart from the song. We are told in Revelation that the redeemed sing the song of Moses and of the Lamb. So that over and over again, we have in the Bible a strong emphasis on music, which is unusual in all the world's religions. Not only so, in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, believers are commanded to sing. For example, in Isaiah 12, 5, Ephesians 5, 18 to 19, James 5, 13, Colossians 3, 16, and elsewhere. We forget when the scripture says, sing unto the Lord a new song. That's imperative, a command, sing. Christians are commanded to sing. We don't think of it as a command, but it is. Sing unto the Lord. But then second, we tend to forget that in the Bible the tithe goes in part to the musicians. No wonder we get poor music today. We won't support musicians. But the Bible says that not only the musicians who played the instrument, but the singers were supported. This was true in the temple. This was true in the synagogue. It was true in our Lord's day. The tithe provided for the musicians. In no other religion in the world does music have a place like unto that in Scripture. In fact, someday I hope someone will write a book on the importance of music in missionary work. Do you know that pagan religions are afraid of our music? Why? Because they find on the mission field everywhere that long before the natives really understand the language of the missionary. And they find that his knowledge of their language is so simple and weak that they cannot really follow him very intelligently. They know when he and his wife and his kids try to leave the open-air meeting or the church meeting and sing a song like Rock of Ages cleft for me. That conveys something. 
and pagans will pick up that music. The music has an impact. So much so that in many parts of the world today, various pagan religions are simply borrowing our hymns and changing the wording so that they can keep their people. You can go into the Far East today and hear Buddhist children sing, Buddha loves me, this I know. They can borrow the music, but you see, they can't borrow the joy. And that's where they fail. We are unique in the world. We are unique in history in that Christianity is a religion of music, of song. If you go outside the Bible, and Bible-believing portions of the world, music is usually something that is associated with magic and witchcraft, enchantments, or else sensual pleasure. It doesn't function much otherwise. Pagans are not singing peoples. Because our anthropologists are pushing Christian presuppositions onto them, they go and they tape a few things and they try to give us the idea, here are the songs of the various tribes and the peoples of the world. The reality is there isn't much music there outside in the non-Christian world. We are the people of music. We're the ones who have something to sing about. And we need to give it its due place in the school curriculum and to teach it from a biblical perspective. But then the third, we have to recognize that the function of music in the Bible is not man-centered. It's not the enrichment of our human experience. It is God-centered. The Bible never tells us that we sing for our self-expression. It never says anything about the individual in the song, about how it will enrich our experience. Rather, it says that we are the same because we have been enriched by the grace of God. There's a world of difference between the two. We sing because we are rich, because we've been blessed by the grace of God. To take one verse of many in the scripture, Psalm 30, verse 4. Sing unto the Lord, O ye saints of his, and give thanks at the remembrance of his holiness. The commandment is always sing unto the Lord, not to the congregation, not to enrich your life. Sing unto the Lord. We've forgotten that totally. We sing the songs that we're going to enjoy. And we say, what's your favorite hymn? Well, let's sing hymns that we like. 
that's not the purpose of songs in the church service. Whether it's in the New Testament or in the Old, it's always, sing unto the Lord. You know that churches in the old days, and you still find a few in the East, the choir loft was often in the back or up in the balcony, and it was facing the pulpit or in a Catholic church, the altar. Why? Because the choir and the congregation were both singing unto the Lord. Now the choir sings to the people, and the people are asked to sing the song they will enjoy. But the Bible always says, sing unto the Lord. Sing unto the Lord. Now that puts an entirely different complexion on music. You see. Then we cannot belong to the humanistic tradition, either the popular or to the classical. Because the function of our music is not our enjoyment, but the expression of our joy, our thanksgiving, our prayer, our praise to the Lord.
Now they may enjoy other types of singing more. They may enjoy singing that expresses our feelings. They may prefer that type of song, but they're going to be admonished. <coughs> they are going to be instructed when we sing unto the Lord. This is a most pronounced stress throughout all of Scripture. Not only does God rejoice in our singing, not only does he require that it be sung unto him, but it is only when we sing unto the Lord that the people around us are going to be instructed and admonished. So that it is not singing that is aimed at people or expressive of our feelings that accomplishes God's work, but singing unto the Lord that best accomplishes the task of evangelism. What we need today is God-centered musicians and God-centered music. The Westminster Shorter Catechism begins with a statement, what is the chief end of man? And answers, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. I think we can call that the best single statement of the philosophy of music in a Christian context. To glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Thus, very clearly, we need to rethink our views of music and to remind ourselves as we teach music that it is unto the Lord. And when the child begins to recognize this is the function of music, sing unto the Lord, that he will also recognize the function of his own life to be lived unto the Lord. But if our music is aimed at pleasing the individual and helping him to enjoy himself and to enrich himself, then he will come to think of God himself as another human resource, another resource for man's benefit. And he will have God put to the use of a humanistic city. Are there any questions now? Yes. Yeah, I think it was in the Westminster Confession of Faith uh, that talked about using in worship just the scriptures. Uh, would you comment on that or how you see that or, you know, on the issue? I think they, apparently one time they just used the scriptures in worship and they didn't use man-made things. You know, would you, is that true? And uh, comment on There are some groups. Uh, this was not true at the Reformation, no. Because remember, Luther composed a number of hymns. And Calvin had an associate who wrote hymns, one of the most popular of which is still with us, Old 100, which uh, began, uh, All people that on earth do dwell, praise ye the Lord, and so on, and concludes with a doxology that we still use. 
You did have groups that said we will only sing the Psalms. Now, in the New Testament there are definitely references not only to the singing of Psalms, but of hymns and spiritual songs. And St. Paul gives us snatches of some of these hymns that were commonly used in the early church. So that those who argue, and there are a handful of them uh, in the country, that we can only use uh, the psalms for our singing, are missing the whole point. First, the commandment is to sing unto the Lord, and not merely to sing with psalms. And second, what they do is not really to use the psalms as paraphrases of them, which are very usually doggerel, the most wretched kind of uh, transliteration and setting them to rhyme and so on, so that the, they really botch up the psalms before they're through. Yes. Some uh, groups don't uh, allow musical instruments at all. How do they, they say it's scriptural? How do they arrive at it? Uh, they tend to be dispensational. Uh, different groups have different ways of showing their dispensationalism. They say unless it's something that's mentioned in the New Testament, we won't use it. And the instruments are not mentioned in the New Testament. Well, that's true. They're not. Well, for one thing, the early church was an illegal organization. They met at home. They met in small groups. And it wasn't the situation where uh, instruments could function very well. The same is true, incidentally, in Red China. In Red China today, church services are limited to 10 people. Why? Well, if you had more than ten getting together in somebody's little room or home, it attracts attention. And they can easily be spotted and persecuted. Naturally, they don't have any instruments in those meetings, and if they did have one, they wouldn't use them because it would be heard. So, you can see why musical instruments, by and large, were not used. In fact, the church for the first couple of centuries didn't even have buildings. It was a persecuted, illegal organization. But uh, instruments are mentioned in the Old Testament. There's nothing in the Bible that tells us those things aren't still valid for us. It's a weird aspect of uh, many churches. Almost every church has a touch of dispensationalism. Well, some it's with regard to instruments, others it's with regard to the law, others it's with regard to this or that. But all of them say, well, uh, this doesn't apply anymore to us. Well, if the Bible doesn't tell us it's ended, we have no reason to say it is. It's still God. And instruments are still a means of praising the Lord. Are there any other questions?
somehow now as far as Christians is concerned uh, are concerned is uh, Sunday things it's church things so that tells us something about our faith it doesn't well up in song readily example is a more formal thing and I would say a morning service should be a more set uh, pattern and limited and restricted in the kind of music it has an evening or a midweek service is much more informal and it does permit the possibility of uh, various instruments it used to be, for example, that uh, Catholic churches would have an entire symphony in the church. Um, it isn't a question of the instrument always, but the use that is put to. Now, too often, when some of the instruments like the guitar are brought into the church it's because they want to bring in uh, people's mass in for example Catholic churches and uh, a modern type of music into Protestant churches rather than to develop a Christian music with it you see they're trying to be contemporary they're trying to imitate the world now, the guitar can be a very beautiful instrument. But the question is, when it is used, is it being used to develop a Christian music, or is it because youth today likes the guitar, therefore let's appeal to the youth by bringing a guitar into the service? Do you see the difference there? Because one has a humanistic emphasis, and this is the one that usually prevails. But it has to be a God-centered emphasis. Yes? Uh, I wonder if you're familiar with uh, the John Henry's production, Evolution of the Blues, which is playing in the No, I'm not. Well, a friend of mine went to see it. He's not a Christian, but uh, he thought he was interested in the development of uh, you know, music of slavery. Mm -hmm. He commonly came back to that. He always came up thing about was God and Jesus. Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. And I was wondering uh, how you evaluate or look, uh, look at the blues. Mm -hmm. 
the blues did begin with uh, a great deal of Christian uh, reference. But the blues were predominantly an expression of human emotion, human grief, human sorrow, so that man and his feelings. There's no theology in the blues at any period, you see. There is a great deal of humanism. If there's anything, it's the theology of man. So you have to say that uh, the blues are very defective and uh, unhealthy because they led to an intense concentration on oneself. And the emotion they stimulated and do stimulate is self-pity. And that's not a godly emotion. It's a very deadly and dangerous one. Yes. The term background music has an interesting history. Early classical music began as background music to a royal court. The idea was let uh, the duke or the king or the lord be able to dine visit, carry on whatever activity they were carrying on with delightful music in the background that wouldn't obtrude itself on their consciousness, but would create a very pleasant mood. Thus classical music began as that kind of thing, a background music. And of course, you have a great deal of background music nowadays piped into stores and into offices to put people into a good mood so that they'll be more expansive, work better, or spend money more readily. I can't see Christian music as background music, you see. It is truly Christian music. For example, when I survey the wondrous cross, our mighty fortress is our God. If I am really listening to that, I can't allow it to be a background thing. It calls for a commanding of my feelings, my mind. I think, therefore, Christian music as background music uh, involves a contradiction in terms. It's priority music. Well, I think our time is up, and we'll take a five-minute break, and then...